we rolling? <laughs> All right. Welcome to the Racing for Recovery podcast. I have Jeremy with me today. How are you, sir? I'm good. That He did it right. Yes. Leaning in. I'm good. <laughs> That's what Dave always says, our producer. Get close. He said get close. Right. You're close. Uh, I'm sporting an Elton John shirt. I do this a lot of time. I wear a different concert shirt or whatever. Do you have a favorite Elton John song by any chance? Maybe the one he did for Princess Diana, only because it's reminiscent of my childhood. Do tell. Right? Yeah, go so ahead. So I was maybe 11 when she died in that car accident. And I think it was, what, Candle in the Wind? Yeah. So that's probably the only Elton John song I can say off the top of my head. Okay. And it's only because it was embedded in my childhood for that period of time. Wow. Yeah. You were 11 then? Something like that, yeah. I can't remember the exact age, but... You know, the more I do these things and have these type of conversation, <laughs> I realize how old I, I am. You know, I was on I was in Cape Cod with my parents and my wife. We had just found out she was, she was pregnant at the time. And I, how old was I then? Like, I don't know, 30-something or whatever? What, 32? That's how old I am now. Wow. Yeah. All right. All right. We're rolling. Um, okay. So I'm going to start off by asking you this. Okay. Uh, I have two questions. The first one is I'd like you to describe the first time you came to racing for recovery and what your mindset was. And then I'm going to follow that up with another question. So I have came to support group meetings in some faction for about 13 years consecutively usually because I was court ordered. Somebody else offered, let's go try something different. So I sat in this room, I think it was early summer of 2018. And I was like, this is bullshit. I was like, I'm used to 12 step recovery. Mm -hmm. Everyone in here has got three, four days. So it didn't, it didn't have an effect on me. I was so used to sitting in 12 step meetings just to get a stamp or to follow along that this just had a different tone to it that I just wasn't used to, so I wasn't willing to accept it. Dude, right off the bat, you're doing it. I have I have a ton of respect for you as a human being, but the your honesty is profound. And what I hear you saying in that, it's like, and it's one of the things that traditional programs talk about, it's having that open-mindedness, right? But it sounds like when you were first coming into this, because it was different, the mind was closed to any of that, right? How did how did that time coming into recovery, how did it end up working out for you? Coming in this time? The first time. It never worked. So I would follow suit, right, to what the state of Ohio said I had to do. And then my sobriety was a fallacy in the sense where I was just walking the line. So I did five years on probation in Wood County the day I got off, I used, and I did four years of probation in Lucas County, and the day I got off, I used. So as wow. soon as that ball and chain was released, I was right back. That's nine years. It was about nine. It was it was like a 121 months, or it was like a pretty elongated period of time with only a really abbreviated gap in between the two. So what? looking back... And I still got to get to my second question, but here's another one prior to that. So looking back at all that, what was missing for you? What do you mean? Like 
you have 120 months or whatever, two consecutive stretches where, yeah, you weren't using, but it wasn't really living the life that you deserve to live. What, what do you think was missing then that you would immediately go back once you were not mandated, you did it again? I just didn't have enough repercussion yet. So my repercussion was usually jail time or court ordered sanctions. It was never like it was this time, like the absolute dissolving of my personal life. So let's do this then, because I remember this day vividly. You come back in here. I know you, you know I'm going to ask you this. You come back in a second time. Mm -hmm. You come into the awesome IOP room that right. we have. You're standing to my left. You wouldn't even sit down. What was that time like? And then let's get into how great you're doing now then. So I had a bag of clothes for the most part and some salvation. This place existed because I didn't really have anywhere else to go at the time. So I had almost no other option but to just be optimistic and just let this work. So I had to like let myself go because almost out of the urgency that I had nothing else, no other options. And I did it. And you told me, I think it was the second day and your words were profound because I always felt like I didn't fit in. And you said, it doesn't matter what you did in your past. You're not defined by your prison number or your felonies. You're defined by the person you want to be. And that actually projected me into where I'm sitting right now. Wow. So let's talk about your journey of being with us this time, you know, go ahead and let it rip. What's it been like? So, like I said, that my personal life was totally dissolved, right? I had to rebuild it from scratch and I just had to really take it slow. So I have a journal in my car that I still keep of those first months of IOP and the intensity of that and the therapeutic desire to grow grow as much as I could and take away from this program what I interpreted it. And it was important for me to talk. It was important for me to raise my hand. And I just didn't go back and do all the same things I always did. I didn't go right back into the automotive field like I did every other time. Mm -hmm. I just took it slow and listened to the advice of people whose cadence I respected. And that actually projected me to actually go back and finish my college degree, which I never had any intention when I walked in the doors here that I would even be a possibility. Hmm. So my life or the narrative of my life as I sit here now looks a lot different than it would have last year at this time. Or I couldn't even fathom actually being back on a collegiate campus and, and chasing that dream again. That's some, how close are you to being done? What do you have left to do? I graduate my bachelor's in December of this year. So I have this semester, I have two, three summer courses and then fall semester. Awesome. And then you're gonna do what? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this out there to hold myself accountable yeah. and I've only really talked about it in these rooms because mm -hmm. I feel like when you have esoteric goals, it's important sometimes to keep them to yourself. But I do intend, or my goal is to go to law school so I have taken the first steps to do that. I take the entrance exam in April. I've been very active at the law school here locally just so they know my face. Hmm. I've sat down with the dean and the administrator of admissions and I've told them, hey, this is my past. This is a hurdle I'm gonna have to jump. And I'm just, I'm just there. Talk about the, uh, the presentation you did at, at school and how proud you were to just be you. So there is a, a public shaming aspect of my more recent felonies in 2014 because there was a robbery and there was mugshots and news articles and the news and 
So it was very, when you Google my name, it's very much a prominent thing associated with who I am. What that led me to feel like is I had to hide from it hmm. to a point even where I just went by JD because I didn't want you to know my real name. And it really wasn't until I came in here where I was able to just let that go and just own it because I felt like it was something or I perceived it that it was something people were just going to use against me. So if I could hide from it, you would never know. You couldn't use that. It took me a while of trial and error to figure out that if I just owned it, that gave me the ability. You know, it's not only so much that you can't use it against me. I just need to own it to like represent where I came from. So I had a, a class, a communications class, business undergrad class. The professor's like, do a presentation on whatever you want. That's your final. And it was like, okay. And a lot of kids did stuff about cars and sports teams. And I got up there and I said, I want to go first. And the second slide was my mugshot. And I said, this is where I came from. This is where I'm at. And this is where I'm trying to go. So that was the first time on a public platform I could talk about my past and just let it represent me for who I was, not who I am now. How do you feel about doing this podcast right now? It's been something I've kind of anticipated, but I didn't want to like project myself like, hey, look, let me do it. You know, it just kind of worked out. And it's really interesting how this worked out because I had other obligations today that fell through from certain circumstances that made this a reality. So it kind of like made it more tangible. Like this is where I need to be right now. You know, I, it's interesting. Like I'm a big visualization guy of looking mm -hmm. to the future, right? And I'm looking at this as almost part of your resume for law school and everything because what you're saying here somebody could watch this and go yeah that's actually better than an interview to see who you <laughs> really are right it's all about owning my past to show how far i've come it's not like it used to be a shameful thing i'm not proud of what i did but i grew a lot from it you know being in some of those institutional settings seeing dark corners of human behavior due to active addiction. I've taken a lot away from that that's built my character. And that's what I need to focus on. It's not so much, you know, I'm not proud of that, those actions, but I, I'm aware of why I did them. I'm aware of what I need to do to never do them again. And I just need to take away from that the positive. I can't always just be trying to run from it or hide from it. Yeah, man. Um, I, you don't have to say anything with this but it's uh something recently we've been having a texting dialogue going on and you and you said you <laughs> wanted to see me for individual counseling which mm -hmm. I'm, I'm honored to do and you don't have to get into why with that but i i do want to know what it is that you're seeing and someone that has some more dare i say some letters behind my name like w w what it is that you want to get out of that that you don't currently have so for me, it's a lot to do with my mental process. I feel like substance abuse was just a symptom of my own insidious thought process is what I refer to it as. So I take the substance away from it. I'm proactive about addressing myself as objectively as I can, but I need, there's a lot of work I still need to do. That's awesome. And I feel like credentials don't just signify letters behind your name, but it you have education and experience that might be able to give me more input of how to 
be the best version of myself. Beautifully said. I'm looking forward to doing that. Do you, do you think in a lot of what we talk about in here, do you think that maybe during those nine years or whatever that it didn't work out the way that it, it should have for you? And I use should because I believe everybody deserves to be their best. Um, do you believe with some of our concepts of working on some of these underlining issues or whether it's psychological, you know, sexual, emotional, social, mm -hmm. that that would have helped you back the, then? The thing about the 12-step recovery is you only really get what you put into it, and it was always hard for me to dive into that. I think a lot of it had to do with I just wasn't ready to stop. I was just kind of waiting for my next chance to go back out. Mm. With this, it really made me analyze why it was I started in the first place, which had a lot to do with an identity crisis as a kid compounded with already compulsive, obsessive like traits I already displayed. And that just perpetuated itself into allowing me to do more and more narcotics that eventually just led me down this path. But the idea here that we address it in more of you know the underlying root cause and then then how to go forward you know the desire the persistence the patience the dedication like that's not addressed in 12 step it's more of just put it to your higher power follow these 12 steps and, and call your sponsor who could be anybody and i never really bought into that so i had to get away from thinking i could think my way through this which is basically how i equated all my success to in life i could just intellectually think it through but i and i tried that with sobriety right so i had to let that go and it was more about the desire to never want to pick up ever again because i've come to the conclusion of where it gets me every time like there's factual evidence that shows this is what happens when i use whether it be prison time felonies dilution of personal relationships and i just need to be very submissive to that reality you know what's interesting i mean it's obvious you are one intelligent human being and you're again we can't this is not an intellectual problem <laughs> it's not i've had i've had doctors mm -hmm. in my office before and i one particular doctor brought his son in who was in med school and had two duis and his dad was trying to calculate based on his body weight, how much he could drink and how it, and I'm yeah. just like, dude, <laughs> come on, this is not a math problem. And it's, you know, I, I'm fairly intelligent and I've always looked at this <laughs> as like, man, these, this is about feelings. We gotta understand why we're thinking the way we're thinking and feeling that is leading to these choices. It's everybody focuses on, oh, you're bad because you got a felony. It's like, and I'm looking at this like, why did he get the felony? Not because he was on drugs, it's why is he on drugs? So if we can use our intellect to understand the emotions behind this, then the thing starts to shift. And that's what I've seen mm -hmm. you doing with us, you know? I think on that note too, I've really come to the conclusion that when I used, it wasn't so much the narcotics, it was more of the ability I could be so insane by using so much. And that was almost more appealing than the actual using. Like I could be submerged in an insanity of it. Hmm. And that was what was more appealing to me. I think it's just because it was a way to get away from the speeding of my thought process sometimes or my inability to always understand it. You know, one of the things, and again, our racing for recovery is not about running. It's not about 
being in the gym, which <laughs> I'm going to talk to you about, but those are pieces of the proverbial puzzle. Has you being in the gym, has that helped you to, I guess I want to say calm down or think and feel more productively? I guess what I'm asking is what has being in the gym consistently done for you, not just on a physical level, but more on a psychological and emotional level? It's given me the ability to understand that with trusting the process of time, I mean, it takes years of consistency and Saturday nights and midnight when no one's there, but you and the person that works there. And literally it's just you, you're pushing yourself. That's giving, that's kind of the baseline for what I'm always doing. Like I can be can so consistent that it, I can apply that to anything else in my life. Right. And the gym is just, it just manifests itself by physical appearance. Like it, I've done this for nine years almost consistently with small gaps and diet's a big thing. Mm -hmm. And with those two equations combined, like I can have results and I can apply that to everything else in my life. What do you, what do you like about being of service to some other guys that are coming into us that start going in the gym? I know I've had a couple of people that told me that you've been a great asset to them. What's that been like for you? That's the best part of this that's the whole reason I even want to go to law school it's not prestige or esoteric goal or letters behind my name it's more of the ability that it puts me in a position to help somebody better and it was actually really cool I was at UT law school this weekend and the one thing they kept bringing up was like as an attorney you have more ability to help and I'm like that's my whole intention I don't want to necessarily defend people or I want to just be in a position where I can help somebody in the best way I can. And I feel like when you reach a certain professional level, you can do that more. So that just helping someone in the gym or like acting as an example is a very basic definition of that. You know, you're, and notice my verbiage, when you get accepted to law school, when you graduate, you will be with us in some capacity. Cause you know, <laughs> there are a ton of legal issues that people endure around here that we, we can't, handle i mean we have some mm -hmm. kind attorneys that are doing some pro bono stuff with us but i i envision you as our our legal aid <laughs> if that's the term I've right thrown that out there too because from my observation it's at least 85 percent of the people coming here with some type of legal baggage and i know you guys do a lot in drug court but i was like i told todd i was like what if i what if you had an in-house attorney like it's not about how much you pay me right right it'd just be like I can give back in that absolute way, right? I'm already intertwined here. This is part of my identity. This is part of my growth. Like how cool would it be if I sat here and dealt with all the stuff that came in the door? I do, do you visualize that happening? I visualize it in a subtle way. Like, you know, but I, I throw it out there. Somebody told me today that I think the most successful people are people who can envision the long-term goal, not the short-term rewards. So if I throw that out there, I've made myself almost accountable. And I told Todd, he's like, that's a great idea. I'm like, well, don't fill the spot yet. You know, <laughs> like right? give me a couple that's of years. Like, yeah, like yeah. I threw it out there and he said, like, I didn't even think of that. And then when AJ was here, I was the first one. And, and like, I didn't even think of that. But I think that would be a, a way to separate racing for recovery a little bit more from other agencies. And it also would be a good asset to everyone else coming in. And if it was me, that would be the crucible of giving back. 
right? Because this place is what's propelled me to do that anyways. 100%. It's like the some of the greatest things that we're doing in here, I, I did not come up with. It's like, I just, I listen to people. Mm-hmm. You you hear somebody, <laughs> I mean, you've been in the IOPs, I'm running, somebody will say something like, yeah, I've always, you know, had a desire to, to be a chef or whatever. And I'm like, then go get in the kitchen and go make something it. happen. Go do it. It's right here. There are so many opportunities for this program of ours to help people that would... I can't do, you know, it's, it's people just being themselves that are really gonna, as you said, separate us from other places. And that's what I want. I think with that too, it's dealing with those inevitable setbacks. I think we're easily discouraged. Like today I got a phone call from a local attorney that I reached out to for mentorship. And he was like, I don't know, dude, your felonies are, you know, so severe. And it had the ability if I let it to, very much discouraged me but I was aware of that and I called somebody else and they were like don't do it you know Mm -hmm. don't don't let that distract you it could but why would it like I'm gonna push this so far like they're gonna have to tell me no so many times that I'm still gonna go I'm still gonna push for it I think it's that's where that desire comes in you know you know how no just means Someone saying no means that it's giving someone else an opportunity to say yes. That's, That's right. all that yeah. is. <laughs> it's just, okay, no. I mean, I think of the, the first time I mentioned my concept of racing for recovery to somebody, and they were an attorney. <laughs> no offense, Who Jeremy. Thought, yeah. <laughs> right? They said, don't waste your time. It'll never work. First thing. So you could talk about people like us that are battling self-esteem issues and we finally get a glimmer of hope. And the first person you go to, they're like, eh, don't bother with it. That can crush somebody. But to me, it was just like, well, I just got to go find somebody else that'll say yes. Right. But I think of mm-hmm. stuff like that all the time. No is just meaning someone else is going to say yes. And I mean, I don't want to self sound self-righteous. That's This is newly discovered for me. If you would have told me no a year ago, I'd be like, okay, you're right. And I've done that. But I'm I'm come too far, and it's too early on for me, you know, to to give up. I've put it out there. I've made myself accountable to that, and I needed it to do that. If I just I keep it to myself enough where I don't expose it on public social media platforms or anything, but I've said it enough that I'm I need to hold myself accountable to at least push it all the way that there's literally no other option. I mean, how many times have you heard us? use the word no around here. I don't know if I've ever heard it. Right. It just, I'm like, that doesn't really exist. It, it, if, it's any, if it's not an immediate yes, it's how do we make it a yes? Mm-hmm. Or what do we need to make it a yes, right? It's never no, right? Unless somebody wants to, I don't know, have a kegger in here or something, that would be a no. I think it's only no if they've put themselves in a position, you know. That's true. What's it like to, or I don't even know if this is true yet, do you have your family <laughs> support back? My family is always the one that's fell most victim and they're always the ones that come back. You know, I think they always see it in me. But I absolutely have that. And without that, I wouldn't be able to sit here. And a lot of that's the financial and the emotional. You know, me and my mother are close where Mm -hmm. I, you know, for the most part. But, you know, them also being able to help me at times where I'm totally broke as a college student and mm-hmm. things of that nature have helped a lot too. And I don't take that for granted because I see a lot of people in these rooms here that don't have that mm. and how much that can be detrimental to them. So I'm very fortunate to have a family that's never truly 
let given up on me, even though they had every reason to if they wanted to. So there's that empathy again, right? One of the three big words we use around here, empathy, humility, and gratitude. And it's really cool. My grandmother, you know, at times fell victim to my unbecoming behavior. But the first thing she'll tell you about me is, gosh, he's such a smart kid. You know what I mean? That's, it's cool to hear that, you know, and there's been apologies, you know, like I've had times where I've just kind of broke down and apologized and some family members reacted more sympathetic than, than others, but that's okay. Have you forgiven yourself? Are you there yet? For the most part, there's some things I still struggle with. And I think maybe I always need to, in a sense, as motivation, but that's still an under, you know, a process I'm undertaking. But for the most part, I have. And now for me, a lot of it's, you know, how to apologize. Is it just my seriousness of action? Is it just me just leaving you alone? Is it me sending you an email? Is it me sending you a text, paying you back? You know, what is it? Or is it me just fixing the behaviors so the next person isn't affected by it? Wow. What do you uh, talk about the, the friendships you've made? And that's okay to use that word. The friendships that you've made in here. How, how, have, how have they helped you? Oh, my. The dynamic of that's intense. I've always been like this lone wolf, but I feel like that's more out of just my fear of not being accepted. Not because, you know, because I'm really comfortable in my own mm-hmm. skin. But I was careful about who I allowed super close to me. And I think there was a lot of time that had to develop. I think being in institutional settings and other things I've seen, you can see how people manipulate you and, you know, things that I've, I feel like I'm very aware of maybe motives of certain people. So there's a handful of people that are active here that I'm very much involved with. Eric's one of them. My who roommate, works here? Who works here? Mm-hmm. My roommate Mike is one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, you grow to respect usually other men just from what you've seen in them without them really knowing you're watching. You're talking about Mike R, right? That lives with me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm careful. He's a good yeah. He's a good egg. I asked him to quiet, do this. but yeah. Quiet, but one probably one of the most solid men because Mike, like I'm going through something. Check on me. Guess who's texting me twice a day yeah. or coming up and knocking on my door. Yeah. That dude speaks volumes without hardly ever saying a word. I think that's the vitality behind it because you don't have to be loud to be heard, right? right. Yeah. But it's, yeah. So the the dynamics of the friendships or the the bonds I've built in here are really what's, especially right now, like I have some personal turmoil right now in my life. And if it wasn't for those relationships within these walls, like that could be exaggerated so much, you know, and it's helped, it's helped me in my current situation. So, Dude, I'm grateful you had an open mind the second time you came in here. Seriously, because that's what's led to everything you've said today that's been productive is that willingness just to try something new. Somebody, let me ask you this and then we can wrap up unless you want to say anything else, but What's the main message you want somebody watching this who might not be familiar with Racing for Recovery? What do you want them to know that they may come here? To, I'll just speak on what I did that worked for me. I bought into this program for what I felt it offered me. I haven't gone on trips with you. 
I haven't really explored. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of things maybe I haven't done, but I did what I thought was appropriate for my success. And I think that's a lot of intuition of what you think is going to work for you. So it's a lot of taking away from what I heard in IOPs. It was a lot of that Cleveland book. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of just sitting back and seeing how others move and then trying to mimic that in my own way. So I think just coming in these rooms and just, just listening and taking away from it what you think is valuable. I love it here. You know, this these green walls are a big symbolic atmosphere for me, and it's the key to my success. Dude, this, you speaking right, that's the vision I had for people. This is not about me or anybody on staff telling somebody what to do. It's offering them those 10 lifestyles and saying, you have the freedom to do whatever you want in those. And Right? Yeah, and that can be dangerous if you let it. You know, we've used that metaphor a lot. You have enough rope to hang yourself, but enough rope to pull yourself up or something along yep. those lines. Yep. And you really got to want it here. You really got to want it here. And the people that really want it are the people that stick around. I, when we got racing for recovery to this level with having lodging and all the services that we do, I was like, I am not here to babysit people. I have four kids of mm-hmm. my own. I, I'm not going to pen people up and make it, you know, jail like. It's like you, you said that right. You people are gonna come in, they can either climb out or not. And that is on their end, their choice. Right? This whole thing is based on choice. And I that's how it should be. One hundred percent. My whole approach to what sobriety means is different, you know. And it's interesting when I feel like I have to correct people who think they know what sobriety means or I'm like, it's all about your choice, you know? And I, that's a lot different than maybe what it would have been, you know, with my interaction in 12-step. You know, I still get something from 12-step. I, I still course. feel like there's a brotherhood there that I seek. But as far as the philosophy that I've structured my sobriety around is much more oriented in what's offered here. I do. I, I need to say this uh, publicly. I I never would tell somebody, don't go to a traditional meeting. I got my start in traditional meetings. I'm thankful for them. I just have always said I was looking for something more. It was one good piece of pizza, and I wanted the whole sure, thing. Sure, yeah. Right? And that, but I will never, ever, ever bash what they have been successfully doing for a long, 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 long time. You know, and you just added to that. You know, this is not about belittling others. It's lifting each other up, right? Um, anything else you want to say in closing? I just appreciate this opportunity. You know, my main objective here is to now be just more active, like in a mentorship type of atmosphere. That's why it's important that I sit up front on Mondays and I'm held accountable to that. And regardless of what else I have going on, I'm still there. So whoever wants to tune in on Mondays, like you'll see me up front. Right on. I mean, unless I'm like deathly ill. You'll still be there. I'll still be there. Right. And I, I need to hold myself accountable. I have to hold myself accountable to things like that. So if I obligate myself to it, I'm there. I obligated myself to this. And it was an honor to be asked to do it. And like I said, it, it had worked out in my favor because there was other obligations I had today that fell through for other factors that made it so I could sit here today. And I hmm. think that really shows me why I needed to be here. Right on. Dude, it may sound weird coming from me, but... Um I'm I'm proud of you and I'm I'm honored that you're taking care of you because it's going to help us and then help a lot of people and that's what we're here to do. I really have an intention of like trying to take this and carry this torch away from this area somewhere else that might need it. You know, I got asked yesterday by a a, a new guy who's 
he's all full of what do they say piss and vinegar yeah, coming yeah. in here right i love this kid uh chris from boston boston right he's in and he's he's digging what we're doing and he goes todd you gotta you gotta get this to boston and all these places and i told him i go man i used to want to try and put this other places and now i've took the approach of you know you build it and they will come because i can't imagine like right now having to be in in cleveland or arkansas mm -hmm. or you know I, i'm like i don't know how to do that yet so unless somebody else like yourself or anybody else can figure out how to mimic this other places we got to keep doing what we're doing here and then it, it's going to do what it's going to do right me and todd talked about this either you spread it out or you just keep it centralized yep but I don't I think, know yet. Yeah, I think right now keeping it centralized is important, but I think there's always the possibility to spread it out with the right infrastructure behind well, it. Well, and so. that's where the basis of our live stream came up. I could not figure out how to get this out there. And then we said, well, let's put the live stream out there. And I'm, I'm proud that we're the only organization that's doing that. So people can get a taste. It's not the whole taste, but it's a sample of what we're doing. So when you figure out how to... Get this other way. You let me know and go do it, right? When I get that JD MBA combination, I'm That's sure it. I'll have enough yeah. uh, credential. We'll figure it out. Dude, thanks for doing this. Yeah, man. it was fun. Thanks, Todd. All right. Hey, uh, take this podcast and please share it so other people can see it. And if you need anything, call us at 419 824 8462. Until next time, take it easy out there. Bye.